Amen. Good morning again. You have your Bible with you? If you do, I hope you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, like last week, we're not going to start there, but we're going to get there and spend most of our time there. Last week, we began a new sermon series that will occupy us for six or eight weeks. It's going to be a break from our regular steady diet of expositional preaching. It will be more topical in nature. We call it sometimes these things, we call them topical snacks. We're going to consider issues of church membership and church leadership. Church membership and church leadership. And in the leadership category specifically, we're going to talk about elders and deacons. We need here at First Baptist Church to reclaim meaningful membership. We need to reclaim meaningful membership and we need to embrace a plurality of elders. And we need to maintain and expand our vibrant deaconship. I told you last week that deaconship is not a word, uh, but I looked it up and turns out it is a word. Uh, So we're going to continue to use it because it definitely fits with the rhetoric that we've chosen for this sermon series. But before we got into any of those specific areas, we spent some time last week considering the church in general, asking the questions and trying to answer the question, what is a true church and what is a healthy church? We believe that First Baptist Church of Harrisburg is a true church. Like we passed the test of what a church is supposed to be. There are a lot of good things happening around here, even in difficult season that we've been a part of. But we don't just want to be a true church. We don't want to just meet the very basics. We don't want to just barely clear the bar of what is a church. We want to be a healthy church. We want to be a healthy church that is constantly getting healthier as the years go by. And that's what we're pursuing here in these six to eight weeks and really in the weeks that follow as we take some actions to execute some of these things. We are pursuing health as a church. And this pursuit is going to go way beyond this series of sermons. Well, this week we're going to dive into at least two weeks of consideration of church membership. And I wonder what images come to your mind when I speak of church membership. Like what are the pictures or the concepts that you think of when I mention being a church member or church membership? I think that's an important question for us to consider today. What is the picture of church when it comes to membership? Let's pray together as we get started this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for the church. Thank you for this church, First Baptist Church in Harrisburg, Illinois. We know that this is your church. You own it. For you have purchased it with the blood of your own son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You have redeemed us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so we are thankful for this salvation. And you have gathered us together here, some of us for a long time, some of us for only a very short time. We are thankful for this assembly. Oh Lord, would you help us to live faithfully as members of this church? Would you help us reject all the worldly images, worldly systems, worldly attitudes, and selfishness that we are so prone to? And would you help us embrace godly service, godly sacrifice, godly submission to you ultimately and to each other also in love? We we believe that you will help us in these things as we pursue them. As your word reveals, this is your design for us as your people. We admit that we need you, we trust you, and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So what images come to mind when you think about the church? When you think about the church, when you think about church membership in particular, what are the images that come to your mind? Well, the Bible uses a whole bunch of different images. 
metaphors to describe what the church is like. And I want us to spend some of our time today considering a few of those and then looking at one of them quite closely. For one thing, the Bible describes the church as a bride. And this will not be surprising to you that we would do this first if you've been here over the last year or so, as we have seen this image of the church as a bride in Revelation over and over again. Look at Revelation chapter 19. One of the pictures of the church in the Bible is she is a bride. Revelation 19 verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so there is this picture here of the church as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's developed more in Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, when it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them and will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. So I didn't really intend to read that last part uh, until I was putting it in my notes. Uh, I, I really wanted you just to see that she is coming as a bride, adorned for her husband, made ready and made pure, right? But that whole picture of him wiping all the tears away from our eyes, that's beautiful. And I didn't want you to miss that today. So in Revelation, we see the church as a bride. If you skip down in, verse, in chapter 21 to verse 9, we see it again right after what we just read when it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues came and spoke of me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And if you remember in that sermon, I talked to you about the, the interesting difference between those word, the word for bride and the word for wife there, and how that gives us this full picture of the church as the bride of Christ, as the wife of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a really interesting image. But Revelation is not the only place where we see the church described as a bride. We also see it in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is, is a text that I use in almost every wedding I perform because I believe it is very instructive to husbands and wives in a practical way about this is how you're supposed to operate now as a wife and as a husband. But it also makes this great connection to the reality of Christ and his church as a bride and a husband. In verse 25 of Ephesians 5, God's word says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That whole bit there in that verse is all wedding imagery. Holy and blameless, spotless, beyond reproach, presented to himself. That's a beautiful thing. It goes on and says, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then in verse 32, he says, This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So yet, once again, in the New Testament, the church is portrayed as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are supposed to engage him as a wife would a husband. And a wife is to engage her husband as, you get the picture, right? 
And husbands are to love their wives like Christ loves the church in a self-sacrificing and leading way. This is a beautiful picture, but it's ultimately about Jesus and the church and the husband and wifely relationship that we enjoy. There's another text in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says this, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Paul there, in talking about the church in Corinth, is saying, I've, I've labored, I've taught you the word of God, I've shared with you in these things in order to present you as a pure bride. As a bride to the Lord Jesus Christ, this imagery of the church as a bride is found throughout the Bible. And it's a beautiful picture, and one that I want us to think about, about the purity that is involved in this picture, about the love that is involved in this picture, about the commitment that is involved in this picture, and about the sacrifice that is involved in this beautiful picture of the church as the bride. And I wonder if you think about the church that way. I wonder if you think about your involvement with the church that way. I wonder if the imagery of a wedding comes to mind when you think about us as a church, that there is to be purity and love and commitment and sacrifice here. It's one of the pictures we see in the Bible. Another picture is a building. We see the church as a building. And right off the bat, I don't want you to get this twisted. It is the church as a building, not the church is a building. Right? That's a mistake that we all too often make. Like, where is First Baptist Church? Oh, it's at 204 North Main Street. No, no, no. That's where First Baptist Church meets. This is the meeting address of First Baptist Church. Where is First Baptist Church? Look around. You are First Baptist Church. The church is like a building. It is not a building. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 speaks to this. It says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You see see Paul there using the building as the imagery of what the church is like. It's like a building, every piece fitted together and growing. And it's not just any building, it's a temple building where God dwells and the worship of him happens. That's what the church is like. Peter uses this same language in chapter 2 when he says, And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this picture, not only is the church uh, portrayed as a bride in the New Testament, it's portrayed as a building with every stone fitted together, every stone resting on one another. Jesus is the cornerstone holding it all together. And this is not just any old building. It is a temple building where the worship of God happens because God dwells there. Now, again, I want to say don't make the mistake of equating the church with the church building. And the best, the best illustration of this I ever saw was after Katrina. Uh, we, were, we were living in Mississippi at the time, and Katrina was still a full-blown hurricane when it came over us that far inland. And on the coast, man, every building was wiped out. You saw the images of that. We've seen it since then in other places. 
every building was absolutely leveled. And I remember an interview with a pastor of a very large church in New Orleans, and they said, are you devastated because of the destruction of your church? And this pastor wisely and boldly says, make no mistake, my church was not destroyed by that storm. My church building was destroyed by that storm, but my church is alive and well because we are not a building. We are like a building, but we are not a building. And friends, we need to hear that here at First Baptist Church as we sit in this historic building. First Baptist Church has been worshiping in this room. Not that one quite as long, right? That came a few years later, but in this room for well over 100 years. But if this building came down today, after we leave, we will still be here. If this building comes down today, we'll be together in heaven. At least I hope you'll be with us there. I hope you'll be with us there if that happens. If you know Jesus, you will. So the church is like a building. It is not a building. Do you think of the church like this? Like, is that an image that comes to your mind when we talk about what is the church and what is church membership? A building that's fitted together, each brick resting on the others, Christ as the cornerstone of it all. This building being the dwelling place of God, the place of worship, the place of his presence. The New Testament talks about the church as a building. It also talks about the church as a family or a household, and we're really familiar with this. We use this language a lot around here. Matthew chapter 12, there's this stunning moment where Jesus identifies those who follow him as his family. Look at it. It says, while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside. So like his physical family is standing outside seeking to speak with him. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, stretching out his hand toward his disciples, those who are following him, He says, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. The church, the the New Testament describes the church as a family like that. Like we are united as brothers and sisters in the family of God. John talks about this in his letter, 1 John chapter 3. It says, see how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we will be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Like, think about that. We are called children of God. And not just called it, John doubles down, he says, and we really are. We really are children of God who have been adopted into his family by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are his children. He is our father. That's why it's a beautiful thing to pray that way. To pray to God as our father is remarkable. We are a family. We are a family. 1 Timothy chapter 5 speaks of this as well as picture of family or household when it says do not sharply rebuke an older man but rather appeal to him as a father and to younger men as brothers to older women as mothers to younger women as sisters in all purity in other words he says the way you're supposed to relate to each other within the church is the way we relate to each other in a family that's the picture the church is pictured as a family And there's really no singular central text we could go to to prove this. I've shared with you a few, but it is constantly used in the language of the New Testament. Constantly assumed that we are a family. Dear brothers, my little children, my true son in the faith. This familial language is used throughout throughout the New Testament, throughout the Bible, in fact. And it all is founded on God as our father. He is our father. Go back all the way to Genesis. You see this when God makes a promise to Abraham, 
to make him the father of a great nation. Not the leader of a great nation, but the father of a great nation. It's always been about family. And it's family because we're adopted into this family. It makes us, he is our father, it makes us brothers and sisters. I wonder if you think of church membership this way. Do you think of the church as family? Yeah, we do, we do, because we use that language all the time, but we don't. We don't. We don't treat each other like family. Because I tell you what happens in families. You don't always like each other, but you're stuck with each other, right? Like, there are people who live in my house that I don't always like all the time. But we're together. We're stuck together. And friends, that, that just doesn't seem to be the attitude we have toward each other within the church. If we thought about each other as family, we wouldn't just walk away. We wouldn't be here today and gone tomorrow. We need to think about each other as family. It's serious business. It's a heavy picture. So the, the church is described in the New Testament as a bride. It's described as a building. It's described as a family. It's also described as a mountain, as a city, as an olive tree, as a flock of sheep, and as a nation. There are all kinds of pictures in the New Testament about the church. In other words, it's complex. It's not simple. It's not like, oh, we just take this one picture and explain everything there is to explain about the church. There are lots of images that describe various facets of the church. And one that captures my attention especially is the image of the body. And so I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 if you haven't already. And I want us to spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 21. What I really want to do is keep you here until 4 o'clock in the afternoon and walk you through all of 1 Corinthians 12, then all of 13, and then all of 14. Because all of these things fit together to teach us what the church is supposed to look like. And you know about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Love is patient, love is kind. If I got all these other gifts, I don't have love, I'm nothing, right? These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. That is all sandwiched into some very technical talk about what the church is supposed to be like and how important it is that we love each other with this self-sacrificing, God, godly, agape kind of love. But I don't know how many of you would hang with me till 4 o'clock this afternoon. So we're just going to look at verses 12 to 21 and make some observations. Read it with me. It says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. You catch that? There's one body. There's a singularity. There's a unity to all of this. But within that body, there are lots of different parts. There are lots of different parts in that body. Look at verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of the one spirit. In other words, we were brought into this body by conversion. We were brought into this body at conversion. It took him move the spirit to bring us to life. And he didn't just bring us to life. And he didn't just reconcile us to the father. He brought us together into this one body. Look at verse 14. For the body is not one Member, Circle that word member. We want to start thinking this way about membership. This is the origin of church membership. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It is not, for this reason, any less a part of the body. So do you understand there how he's using the word member? He, he's not using it as an associate. 
in the sense of association. He's not using it as a uh, delegation or a constituency. He's using it there as a body part. When the New Testament uses the language of member, it's talking about a part of a body. It's talking about a hand or a foot or an ear or an eye. That's the concept of membership that we must recover. Read on. It says, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not, for this reason, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But look at verse 18. But now God has placed the members, the parts, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. In other words, we got all these different parts. You know, eyes do the eye thing, ears do the ear thing, hands do the hand thing. And God has placed all of those parts onto the body just as he desired. And you are one of those members. If you're part of First Baptist Church, you're a part of the body of this church. And God has placed you here onto this body for a specific purpose. He has done that. You didn't do that. The text says he did that. He has placed you just as he desired. Verse 18 is huge, but read on. Verse 19. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked. So that there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. I want to spend a second on verse 25. So that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. In other words, there's one body here, and there are lots of different members. And God has placed those members in place just as he desired them, and he has organized it so that there would not be division amongst the body. right? So that there wouldn't be a fight between the right hand and the left hand. So that there wouldn't be a fight between the eye and the ear. But that we would be together and care for each other all the same. No matter what part of the body you are, we care for you. There is this mutual care and concern for all the parts of the body. But I think the very best part of the text is verse 26 and 27. It says, and if one member suffers, if one part, I mean, we're not talking here about delegation. We're not talking here about constituents. We're not talking here about associates. We're talking about parts of the body. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. You know how this works in your body, right? If you stub your toe, does the rest of your body say, eh, too bad, toe? Stinks to be you. Like, literally, stinks to be you. You don't do that. You stub your toe, your whole body is like, no, this is, this is bad for us. This is bad for all of us because we're not going to be able to walk tomorrow because we've stubbed the toe. The toe's not in it alone. He's connected to the body. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. But look at this also. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Those of you who have hair, think about that. Like you go, uh, we were talking about Ruth Ellen Wallace just this morning in Sunday school and, and Hillary. Is, she's your grandma, right? Not your great grandma. She's your grandma. But we call her Grady because she's everybody else's great grandma, right? 
And you were talking about how she was having a really good day. And part of why she was having a really good day, she got her hair done. She got her hair done just before her birthday. So that one part is having a good day. And therefore, the rest of her is having a good day because of it. I don't know. Does it work the opposite way? Like you're having a bad hair day? Is it over? I hope not, because I've been having a bad hair day since 2000. (laughs) Do you get that picture, though? As the body, if one part, if one member of that body hurts, we all hurt, because we're connected in one body. And if one part of this body is rejoicing, we're all rejoicing because we're connected. Do you get the picture there? It's about body life. It's about connection. That's what membership is about. It's about being part of this body, not having your name on a list, but being connected to the body. But look at the last part. I love this. Verse 27, we'll stop here. It says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now, what you don't see in English is that you there is plural. It's not singular. It's not looking at Joe and saying, Joe, you are Christ's body. Todd, you are Christ's body in isolation. It's not the picture there. It's not even plural in the sense of saying, you, Joe, are Christ's body, and Todd, you are too, and all the rest of you are also, like individually Christ's body. No, 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 it's not the picture. It's a plural you, which we know something about. Y'all, right? That's, the, that's plural you. Y'all are Christ's body. Like together, collectively, we are Christ's body. Together, we are, we're all individually just members of it. We're just a finger or a toe or an ear or an eyebrow or whatever. But Bud Logeman is a little toe. He's already claimed that, right? Or that got assigned to him at one point. Like, we are just individually, individually, only members of Christ's body. Collectively, we are Christ's body. This, this is a great picture, right? So you don't have that. You don't have that fullness on your own. You're just, like, if you're on your own, you're a big toe, like, hanging out there by yourself. What in the world could a big toe do if he's not connected to the foot? And what in the world could a foot do if it's not connected to the shin bone? You know the rest of the song, right? Like, you you can't do anything unless there's that connection, and that's the way it works with the church. We are Christ's body collectively, individually members of it, and each member placed just as God desired, each one with a purpose and a plan and a function to be used by God. And if one of those little parts, if one of any of you hurts, we all hurt. And if one of you, any of you rejoices, we all rejoice because we are connected this way. My question is, do we think about church like that very often? The evidence says no. The evidence would say, we don't think about church like this. We don't think about ourselves as individually members of the larger body of Christ. Because we're so often disconnected. I read a tweet from Barnabas Piper, who's John Piper's son. He said this week on Twitter, if the church is a body, that means it can't be healthy if it has part-time arms, livers, or eyes, or feet who show up when it's convenient and disappear when it's not. Do we think of church as a body? The evidence would say no. The evidence would say no because we've got livers that show up once in a blue moon. We've got kidneys that never show up. We've got little toes who are here all the time, hanging out there by themselves. But the rest of the foot hadn't shown up. It's hard to operate when the parts are not here. 
It's hard to operate when the parts are not functioning as they should. It's hard to operate when we're not connected. Do we think of the church this way? Evidently not. And that's got to change, friends. It's got to change. That's part of what we're looking for in this series of sermons. I'm interested in all these various images of the church in the New Testament, and we need all of them. We need all of them because any single picture doesn't do the whole thing justice. And I don't want to rest all of our weight on the body image, but when we're talking about membership, it is best to talk about the body because that's where the word member comes from. Member as in part of the body. These are the things that the Bible uses to describe the church. I wonder if there were other things, though, that came to your mind earlier that are misunderstanding and misleading. I wonder if there are wrong ideas that we have about what church membership is. So let's talk for a minute about what some of those wrong ideas are, what, are, what church membership is not. Here are a few misunderstandings and misapplications of church membership that we see on a regular basis. Number one, we see people think church is all about me. We see people say, my involvement in church is about me. The questions are, are my needs being met? Are my expectations being met? Are my preferences being met? We hear it come out in statements like, I didn't get anything out, uh, out of that. And it wasn't for me. One of the misunderstandings about church membership that we see on display all the time is that it's about you. It's not really, right? It's about the Lord ultimately, and it's about the rest of the body also. It's about us collectively serving the Lord with everything we've got. It's not about you. We also hear people come to church and their no is on the table. If you've heard Pastor Dylan talk much, he talks about, I just want to keep my yes on the table. When it comes to serving the Lord and when it comes to serving the church, I want to keep my yes on the table so that if there's an opportunity and a need and a request, I'm in. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to really be something awful for me to say no because my yes is on the table. But man, we deal with a whole lot of people who have no on the table, like engraved on the table. Like in granite, they got a granite table and it just says no on it. They're not interested in serving. They are here to serve. Not to give, not to help, not to go the extra mile. They're here to be served. To be served. No's on the table. We also see in a lot of people a closed posture toward any kind of community. They don't, they don't want to be together. They want to be separate. They, they don't want to be known. They want to be unknown. They don't want to be close. They want to be far away. And so they avoid small group Bible study. They avoid any kind of conversations before service or after service. They avoid any of the extracurricular things that we've got going on because they prefer isolation. Maybe connected to that is this desire to be a mere observer from a distance. We were talking about this on Tuesday as we talked through some of these problems. And one guy said, if you're getting fed all the time and you're not doing any activity... That will lead to obesity and diabetes. That's a great line. And I'm afraid that there are a few of you on the edge of obesity and diabetes because of your involvement with the church. Like you come and you get, you get all filled up, you get what you need, and you're not giving. You're not acting. You're just sitting and absorbing, and it's going to go badly for you. We want to be participants and not mere spectators. And I'm telling you, there's a real danger of this right now. Because of COVID, we, we, we couldn't for a while get together like we usually do. We made some uh, 
concessions so that you could worship at home. We like doing more online, more over the air. And, and we want to do that because, because we know there are some people who can't be here, some people who are still just really not comfortable because of the broader situation, and we still want to provide that opportunity. But, friend, there is a real danger of getting used to just being a, an observer from a way distance. Like, listen, if you're watching this at home or listening on the radio because you prefer to be in your pajamas, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. If you are listening to this at home because you prefer to be in isolation rather than gather with the body, that's sinful, and it needs to change. It's just the fact of the matter. We want to continue to provide for needs, but we don't want to give occasion for sinfulness, for the avoiding of the gathering together, as is the habit of some. Some people are fine to observe from a distance. Some people are only here because of moral obligation. They just feel like they're obligated to be here. They're not interested in being connected. They're not interested in glorifying the Lord. It's just an obligation. They just come to church because their mom made them come to church. One of the scary tendencies and misunderstandings of church membership is that this whole thing that we do is about political mobilization. People think church is a place of social action, political ideology rather than worship and theology. It terrifies me the number of pulpits that have turned into stumps for political speeches instead of places to declare the word of God. We are not a political gathering, friends. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We preach his word. We serve him, that's what we're about. We gotta make sure we stay that. Maybe one problem is also that people are involved in the church because they like the sense of ruling. They like the sense of having authority. They don't like the sense of submission or participation. Maybe say it another way, people get involved in church because they want to be in authority rather than under authority. We see this demonstrated in when things don't go their way, they say, well, I'm out then, or I'll stop giving, or I'm going to keep giving, but I'm only going to give to these pet projects of mine because people want to be in authority rather than under authority. And we're going to talk a lot about the, the, the importance of being under authority in the local church. Some pictures that come to mind sometimes when you think about church membership are the country club, right? The country club, I pay my dues, I carry my card, I get access, I get benefits because of this. Maybe we think about church membership like AAA. Membership has its privileges, right? I pay that monthly fee and anytime I'm in need, I just make a phone call and they show up and help me out. Let me ask you this, would you be involved in AAA if it was a co-op? If you like signed up for AAA and in signing up, you were committing yourself to be on call when someone else had a need. Like that, that was the understanding that everybody had. We're going to sign up for this thing and, and like maybe 10% of the time I'm going to have a need. And when I have a need, I call somebody and they're going to come help me out. But 90% of the time, somebody else is going to have a need. I'm driving to work, phone rings, so-and-so's got a flat tire and you're close by. All right, here we go. So what I signed on for, I'm going to start marketing that. I'm going to invest all of my savings in this co-op auto care. Who's with me? Nobody, right? You don't, want, you don't want to be a part of that. You want to pay your money, you want to get the benefits. And too often we think about church that way. How many of you would sign up for country club membership if you had to mow every Tuesday? If, if on Tuesday it was your day to mow the greens? You can play the rest of the week, but on Tuesday you get to mow the greens. You're not signing up for that, right? You pay your money and get your, get your service. Friends, we cannot treat the church that way. It's not what we were designed to be. And yet so often we do treat the church that way. 
and it's evident in a number of ways. Bottom line is all of these misunderstandings of the church are about selfishness and pride. Selfishness and pride are the hallmarks of nearly every perversion of God's good design for the church. It's about me and mine. That'll mess everything up. It's about me and mine. That'll mess everything up. The church is about selflessness and humility. Our, the design of God for us to dwell in community is to be selfless and humble, to submit ourselves to Jesus as king first. That means walking with him is primary. If we want to be a healthy church together, if we want to be a healthy church as we relate to one another, we've got to be healthy Christians walking closely with Jesus individually, right? We've got to live our lives as individuals in submission to King Jesus. And some of you can't do that because you don't know Jesus yet. You haven't been converted. You don't have life in you. You are still separated from God because of your sins. You need to hear today, it doesn't have to continue on like that. Like you can be saved from your sins today. Holy God can be reconciled. Sinful man can be reconciled to holy God through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for our sins. Repent and believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Right? And you can begin to walk with him. We live our lives first in submission, in humble submission to Jesus as our king. And then we walk with Jesus together. That's what church looks like. That's what church looks like. And we have talked a lot about this recently with the conversion of these youngsters, right? We, we've had a lot of, like Sam, a lot of kids recently say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. And with every one of them, I've said, you got a responsibility. We don't just say, all right, kid, you're on your own. We've got a responsibility to walk alongside them and help them. Somebody on Tuesday asked a question, how many of those guys have any of you talked to since that day? I'm going I'm to put that to you, church member. We all seem to embrace our responsibility to help these little guys. How many of you have talked to any of them since that day they stood up here? Said, hey man, how's it, Ash, Asher, how's it going as you're reading your Bible? Thumbs up. <laughs> Just so you know, Asher's thumbs up. Have you had those conversations? We walk with Jesus together. That's the design of the church. We need to take it seriously. Conversion and connection go hand in hand. We also live our lives in submission to the church. We belong to each other. Every single part of the body has to be active. We are not spectators. We are players. We are essential players in the game. There must be accountability. There must be service. There must be giving. There must be fellowship. Church membership shouldn't be easy. Pastor Dylan said earlier this morning, it ain't cheap. Church membership is not cheap. It costs Jesus his life. And it will cost you something. If your posture of church membership is sitting back and receiving, you've missed it. It's about being part of the body active in service. So my question for you today, why are you here? Why are you here? And I want us all to wrestle with that. Every one of us, why are you here? Are you here like AAA, like the country club? Is it about you and yours? Or do you care about Jesus as your king, walking together with Jesus? Second question is, how does your view of church membership need to change? And as you process that, I'm going to invite you to spend some time in the ramp area. If you've been through the ramp area ever, you know there are these six pledges 
six pledges about I am a church member that came from Tom Rainer's book, I Am a Church Member. And we've recently updated those. We've wiped all the names off of them. At one point, we talked through what is a church member, and, and we took those pledges, and we signed our names to those pledges. And I can tell you our pastors walked through that ramp area on a regular basis and got sick at our stomachs, especially the third pledge, because there was name after name willing to sign, sign in ink that I will not let church be about my preference. Sign my name. And then within a month, walked away because of a matter of preference. So we've wiped it clean. And I invite you to spend some time. I don't want anybody to sign their name on there unless you're ready to sign it in blood. Don't do that either. That's not safe. But spend some, spend some time up there and consider those things. Is that your posture about church membership? I like the image of the body. I want to be active and faithful. I won't let it be about my preference. Nobody's perfect. I'll pray for my pastors. I'll, I'll have my family here. I'll teach them what it means to be active involved in a local church. How does your view of church membership need to change? Spend some time in the ramp area. And the last question is, what are you doing to make First Baptist Church a healthier church? What are you doing to make First Baptist healthier? It cannot just be about what happens in the office. The only, the only striving toward health cannot happen with your pastors. What are you doing to make First Baptist Church a healthier place? Let's stand together in prayer. Father, thank you for your design for the local church. We want to be faithful as members of it. We need your help to do that, to live faithfully as members of this church to reject all worldly images, worldly systems, worldly attitudes, and selfishness that we are so prone to. Help us reject that and help us embrace godly service and sacrifice, submission to you ultimately, to each other also in love. We trust that you're going to help us as we pursue this because we believe your word reveals this is your design. You're going to empower us to follow your design. We need you. We trust you. We do praise you because you're worthy of our praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said earlier that some of you don't need to think about church membership because...